0: One Great Conversation, a place where we strive to become whole and complete personally and professionally by bringing great minds together and giving you, the listener, the authentic conversation you crave. One great guest at a time. Welcome back to One Great Conversation. We had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with Christina King recently. After she was on a panel of speakers at the HR event in Brisbane, we were so inspired with what she shared that we couldn't miss the opportunity to speak with her more one-on-one. It was just so overwhelmingly refreshing to connect with another like-minded person who is already so aligned with how we do things here at Lux's Greats. Christina has over 20 years experience in the people and culture space in some very fast paced environments where thinking quickly and adapting to change as it pops up is paramount to individual and collective success. Inverse to thinking and adapting quickly though, Christina shares her experience of what it means to take a big break between one chapter and the next. What you do with your time in those situations is just as important, we think. If there's one thing I know for sure, it is that there is something for everyone in this episode and we are so excited to share it with you all. Hope you enjoy. But thank you so much for saying yes to coming on. We really appreciate it. I was flattered for the invitation. Thank were you, you really? Absolutely flattered. Oh, flattered. We've only just started out, so that means a lot. <laughs> but um, you were happy to come on.
1: Absolutely. And I'm (laughs) pleased I came down rather than being online. I think it's much better to be in person.
0: Makes a big difference, I think.
1: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I wouldn't have seen the great ball machine outside.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's (laughs) the, I think, a strange but very fun perk of being at Lux's is we don't do boring. So there's always something to see, including an arcade machine in the office. (laughs) It's a first for me.
1: Yeah, for us too. (laughs) 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 I hope it goes brilliantly. for Oh, yes. Yes.
0: I do hope so too. Yeah. There's some pretty cool plans for it. Mm -hmm. So we'll get stuck into the questions. Something that I've been really interested in with guests that I've been having on previous to you. And so I want to keep the ball rolling with that, with professionals who are doing really cool things in their field. What does don't sacrifice great for good mean to you?
1: I was thinking about this. For me, pretty much links to progress over perfection Mm -hmm. or a continuous improvement mindset if I could put it that way. It's a really for me I can be a procrastinator at times I I do like perfection and so the idea that not sacrificing great for good really means that I can force myself not to procrastinate and I can prepare something and put it out even if it's 80 percent there rather than 100% there. And the reason that's been so important is that I've worked for many fast paced, high growth businesses where the pace is just really quite intense at times. And there's always something that needs to be done or Mm. 20 things that need to be done. So the idea that I can take the approach of Getting something out there that's going to be worthwhile and useful, maybe not in that perfectionist format, but having the opportunity to keep tweaking and building on Mm. it as time goes by has been helpful in Mm. those organisations. Oh, that's
0: wonderful. Yeah. And we actually speak about that here quite a bit, the 80-20. So don't get hung up on the 20% the 80% is sort of what you want to focus on. And I feel like that
1: 20% will come naturally as you keep moving. Well, what we found in a lot of the businesses I worked with and most recently You Foods is that if you wait for perfection and then put something out, when someone inevitably gives you feedback about their insights on what you've put out or some suggested tweaks or how that doesn't quite apply to their situation – all that time you've spent in tweaking from the mm-hmm. 80 to 100 percent could have been spent other places. Mm. And so that eighty twenty rule completely agree as far as putting the document or the process or whatever it may be out at 80 percent and then asking for feedback yes. and, and using that opportunity to be your 20 percent of change yeah. that you need to get it as closely aligned to what the organization needs rather than what you think they need.
0: Oh, that's huge. Yeah. So I actually noticed FCPHR and GAICD On your LinkedIn profile. That sounds very impressive. Mm. What do these entail? And I did a little bit of research, so it's upskilling in your field. How has that actually shaped your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the post-nominals can be a bit um, freaky. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was like, whoa. There there are people with many more post-nominals than me, I can tell you that. The CPHR is a certified HR practitioner, and that is uh, a program that's delivered by the Australian Human Resource Institute. It's a program in ARI, which is certified. Against a global benchmark wow. and ties to their model of excellence. And so, in the same way that you have people in the accounting world who mm-hmm. have CA or CPA postnominals after their name, it's really becoming far more common for people in the HR discipline to strive towards having this certified practitioner status. Mm-hmm. My view is that I think it will become very similar to CACPA in that it will be the differentiator as the professional accreditation. And the F at the beginning of that is fellow. So really that just means that I've been working in the people space for far too many years (laughs) to admit to. (laughs) So uh, ARI is a great professional body and there's lots of resources and i found them to be really helpful over time. AICD or GAICD is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and the AICD is the peak membership body for mm-hmm. governance and directorship in Australia. To work through the company director course as an HR person, mm. the company director course is, is fairly intense and focuses a lot around finance law ethics and a few other key modules along the wow. way it, it was it was a bit of a struggle to get through that one honestly the books uh, that you receive are a little They're overwhelming like this thick yeah <laughs> I, I, I have mine at the moment which still have all the coloured post it notes down the side oh, yeah. with all of my markings that i thought might help me in the exam but <laughs> we got through it <laughs> we got through it in the end i think that for the directorship side of things and and i'm really proud to be a non-executive director at the moment for a company called Called dignity, mm-hmm. and they support um, a, a striving rather to end homelessness in Australia. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, it's it's become it was a it was a community issue that I would say that before I joined dignity, I thought I knew a little bit about, mm-hmm. but actually I knew very little, and so joining that team initially as an advisor to the board and now and it has really opened my eyes to the incredible. Uh, struggle that mm-hmm. a lot of Australians have and with the cost of living especially and especially now Oh, the the um the intensity of the impact that things like interest rate rises mm. and general general challenges for people in Australia are experiencing at the moment domestic and family violence and many others, really increasing the pattern of people who are experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness. Mm. And so for me the uh, AICD course was a great gateway to provide validity, I think, to uh, understanding what governance in Australia looks like for a board of directors Mm -hmm. and to start that process of building towards directorships. There's this really interesting article that was done back in 2021 um, on ASX 300 companies in Australia. And um, looking at the number of people in directorships in Australia who come from a background in HR or people disciplines, The stat is that it's only 0.7% wow. of all directorships You'd in Australia. You think it would be more? Well, it's very heavily held in terms of accounting and operations, mm. law as well as a smaller percentage. But people who come from an HR background holding such a minuscule percentage mm. of those directorships. And, and to me, that really perplexes me because people are the single biggest investment generally in an organisation. So... I would have expected that perhaps there might have been more directorships that are held by HR people given their expertise in being able to shape and guide and influence success Mm. um, for an organisation. So anyway, that's GAICD. And I guess in terms of upskilling and the benefits that's brought me, I have always done my uh, my study part-time while working full-time. And that has actually been a really invaluable experience because I was working in a job at the time that I was learning the things that so I was applying. relevant. So the relevance of applying what I learned at the time and in live time mm. was really helpful. And I think that continuing to study has been beneficial because trends change, don't they? you know, the, the way that, that business attacks particular challenges in the market, mm-hmm. the market itself, the economy, a whole range of factors change. And continuing to study throughout the years, whether it's a short course or master's degree, whatever it might be, has really helped to make sure that I'm current in the mm-hmm. skills that I'm demonstrating in my mm-hmm. role. And I think that because of that, I I believe that I've had more opportunities, I think, in terms of progression through my career because of that continuous appetite to learn. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. Look, it's study's hard especially when you're working full-time and and you know everyone a lot of people a lot of people are, are balancing those balls every day mm-hmm. but I believe that it's the the juggle is is definitely beneficial to to people's longer-term mm. opportunities for their career and it flows over into their personal life as well it would yeah so I, I think yeah. it's a, a great thing to do
0: and it sounds like as well just applying that little bit of extra pressure helps you see things a bit differently opens up those opportunities because you are. You're constantly
1: staying ahead for what you want to achieve rather than being stagnant. That's very true. And the other thing that it does give you, depending on what you're studying, being in HR, for example, I would always suggest that you don't do all your studies in HR. It's... It's important, particularly as you get to the more senior roles, to be able to understand your colleague in an exec team or a management team's perspective, their challenges, what their opportunities are, and hopefully be able to contribute in a more well-rounded way Mm. to not just submitting ideas from your discipline, Mm -hmm. but also helping generally your peers to do better in their area and as a team, I suppose, having more success for the organisation.
0: Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with that. And I've always believed, yeah, getting perspective from different fields
1: broadens your overall perspective. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. as an HR person, my strength is not finance, for example. <laughs> all the CFOs I've worked with would absolutely say it's not my strength. Um, <laughs> yeah. However, that's I, keep, all right. I keep trying and that's the main thing. I the keep main trying. thing right? yeah. uh, well, look, I'm never going to be asked to write a and l let's put it that way. <laughs> but, um, but I can read one. So that's a good start. That's halfway, <laughs> right? Halfway. That's <laughs> right. That's right.
0: <laughs> Love it. And yeah, going into the biggest challenge of your journey so far, what might that have been and how did you overcome
1: it? Look, this is probably a bit of a personal one which did impact my journey quite substantially and, you know, as as some of your listeners might have experienced, I've been through divorce and when that happened for me, my children were quite young. They were Mm -hmm. three and five. And uh, for me, I needed to keep working full-time for financial Mm -hmm. reasons and I'd recently just started my master's degree as well, so that was an extra layer lots of working parents, and in fact, all of them have the juggle. There's always the juggle. For me, it was pretty intense for a few years there and Mm. trying to align things like daycare, drop-offs and pickups, the inevitable bugs that hit. All the kids get all the bugs and they come home with them. And they love to share them. They love to share them. And, Mm. you know, you encourage your kids to share, but keep the germs (laughs) to yourselves, please. (laughs) And also just generally keeping life running for, for the family. So, With that, I also wanted to ensure that I was continuing to build on my career front to provide more for my family ultimately. And so I suppose the way I think about it was for those few years, it was kind of military precision. It was making sure that Managing my time was at peak. Sometimes, you know, there was a little bit less sleep along the way. And (laughs) it was was in an era where it probably wasn't as widely accepted to be vulnerable or sharing your challenges in your life, Mm -hmm. particularly as a person, a female, who was building a a leadership career at Mm -hmm. the time. It wasn't going to necessarily earn me any friends to be sharing all of that sure. along the way. So, you know, that was that was quite challenging. And in terms of overcoming it, I think it's really just keeping myself clear at the time on why I was doing that. Why was I continuing to work full time? Why was I continuing to do my master's? And why was it important that even if I didn't feel like it, that I put a smile on my face when my kids were around to make sure mm-hmm. that they were feeling safe and secure and happy? And Making sure I had that at front of mind um, when I was going through more challenging times, Mm. I think was really important to going through that that process. And of course, being surrounded by an amazing family and some great friends to be there to to lift you up when you need it is also been a a key factor in that for me during that time. Having been through that now, I, I do look back and think I'm pretty confident that I can achieve most things that I want to. Yeah, bet. And so I'm yeah. not phased typically now by the, the the big hairy audacious goals that crop you up. We use
0: our language too. The B hags. Yes, yes. We use those too. Oh good. I, pl- yeah. I bet
1: you've got plenty of them here. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got plenty. And yeah. I think that when you work in organizations that strive for that approach, it certainly crosses over into your personal life. Oh. As well. It does. And so you end up having these big goals over here for your career and the business that you're working with. But also you think, well, if that's my habit over here of doing this, then I might as well just do it over here. It's natural to do it over here. Yeah. So look, that's probably the biggest challenge that I've been through. But in the end, it's certainly a huge learning lesson and one which amplifies your self-awareness.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's I think it's so important to have self-awareness, right? And so even though that was such a big challenge, I can only imagine keeping that all running yourself and going through a time where it wasn't as celebrated or welcome to talk about how you actually are feeling. Mm. Yeah, just
1: amazing. Yeah. look, yeah. and And it's not to say that I didn't have any support from employers or anything mm. along those lines. It's just that I guess in today's world it's, it's thankfully more open mm. in terms of being able to share what's happening yeah. in your life and, and be able to have options to work through that. Yes. So I, I definitely am grateful for the support I had, but it was a big, big lesson.
0: Thank you for sharing that <laughs> one with us. That's Yeah, appreciate the authentic sharing for sure mm. for our listeners. And earlier, you were saying that your career grew through your hunger for learning. And it's actually really cool because one of our core values is we stay hungry. So you explained a little bit already about how you've stayed hungry. But um, how has that sort of served you? If you want to elaborate a little bit more on your experience
1: over the years staying hungry, what's that done mm. for you? First of all, got to say, I love that in terms of staying hungry. It's just, it's so relatable and and so direct. Like there's no faffing around. It's just stay hungry. Like it's, it's almost a mantra. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Is it working well? I think
0: so. I think so. Yeah, that's good. That's
1: good. Uh, For me, I'm a list person. Mm -hmm. I love to make a list of the things I've got to get done, and I what I love even more is crossing it out. Yeah, (laughs) it just makes me feel like I've I've done some. I've achieved something for the day. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes in HR, you can work days and not actually tick something off your list, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's the same in many other disciplines. But the feeling of that sense of achievement is definitely something that that drives me mm-hmm. because if I can do all of those things that were just on my list or work towards them, then what else can I do? Right. And I think the other thing is probably in the people and culture space, and if any of your listeners are from uh, the HR world, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a struggle over the last I've been working in HR for more than twenty years, but yeah. originally HR was very much perceived as the personnel department, very administratively focused. Mm. Make sure if that person's got their contract and get their leave forms sorted and that type of thing. Mm. It's really gone through a huge metamorphosis over the years, hasn't it? Which I have been, <clears throat> excuse me, incredibly grateful for, and I think it's been advantageous to so many stakeholders in a business, mm. particularly when COVID happened. Yes that is when I truly believe that many HR people had their chance to rise to the table where previously they might not have had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So I think that setting and reviewing goals is really important around staying hungry, but not just saying them. You know, many, many people, you can pick up many articles where they'll say, write your goals down. It's actually true. Mm. If you write your goals down, and then you actually review them regularly. They're going to be front of mind for you. And if you tell other people about them, yes, you're going to be held accountable. Yeah. So it's not. There's a few elements in my mind. There's the parts of of your role, I suppose, okay. where, you know, my CEO will say, we need to achieve this, this, and this. Okay, great. We will we'll get onto that as a team. Mm-hmm. But if I have goals that I want to achieve. Within the organization. And one of those might be, for example, that I would like to have people and culture recognized as a department which is capable of and of, a- of adding tangible quantitative amounts to a bottom line for an organization. Yep. Again, very generalised and probably historically based. HR was always viewed as, you know, hire and fire, hand out a group hug here and there, and that is 80% of your job done. Yeah. But actually, given that people are the biggest resource of an organisation, if our departments can partner with other members of the Mm organisation and understand what they're trying to achieve and tailor our initiatives and projects to their goals, yes. then actually the results that the organisation is striving for can be amplified significantly in some cases. Mm. So in terms of goals, I think it's making sure they're clear for yourself, writing them down, reviewing them regularly and sharing them with people and asking for the accountability. Mm. Don't don't half-heartedly you know, write down or, or share a goal with someone, own it. And maybe you won't get there this time but maybe you'll get 80% there and that will just mean that you're 80% closer next time around mm. to to getting to achieving that goal. So love, that, love the we stay hungry bit.
0: And when we think
1: about goals as well here,
0: I just think it's amazing that so much of what we've already spoken about is so similar. So Tim, our CEO, always says, Keep your goals, you know, on your whiteboard. I can see them on your whiteboard. Um, that way when other people come into your office, they can see it. They can ask why, you know, why is that on there or what are you hoping to achieve or how are you going to get there or what have you done so far or yeah. – and yeah, he basically unless you have it – unless you're writing it out, unless you have it somewhere, you're not thinking about it, you're
1: not checking in with it mm-hmm. and then – not achieving it. That's right. And it's not front of mind. And the great thing is that having goals on your whiteboard, for example, when someone walks into your office and says, hey, Alma, you're working on that. Mm -hmm. It might actually be a trigger for them if they didn't realize that you're working on that Mm -hmm. to align with what they're working on. Exactly. Which can reduce the effort that both individuals are putting into something. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, two minds are better than one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something that you can achieve a greater result by putting your heads together on. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the the, the big, hairy, audacious goals is, is certainly something that's become quite common, I think, in, in terms of yeah. how people flag things. But the other part of it is, I think, staying hungry is having people that you can not even aspire to necessarily, mm-hmm. but but really recognise and admire for what they've done. Uh, And so having those people in my mind as well around people that I really look up to in terms of the challenges they've overcome to achieve their particular outcomes or their success, it's proof Mm -hmm. that you can do it. It's proof that in even more difficult circumstances than what you might be experiencing, that there is definitely a way to get to this goal. Yeah. It's just how you get there. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Love that. And, yeah, so you spoke a little bit about your experience with you Foods at the start. You mentioned that that's in your field of expertise that you had and you've since moved on from there. And I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you said you've shared that you're on something really exciting next. I'm interested in how you've navigated this transition because for a lot of people you've been known as someone who – does 110%, loves what she does, works all the time. What's this period between your last workplace and this new thing that you're onto? What has that looked like
1: and how have you maintained your mindset? Well, the first word that comes to mind is weird. It's been <laughs> weird. Yeah, yeah. look, absolutely. As someone who has worked a lot, always worked full time, for example, it's been odd to, to have a big stop sign put in front of you and and you think gosh well and like I said on my LinkedIn post and, and genuinely this is what I th- was thinking through the process of exiting is what what and who am I if I don't work? You know what is my identity? It's a big question. I mean I mean w- we don't have enough hours in the day to run through that <laughs> yeah, or we might the have right to psychologist. get you back on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um but <laughs> but for me I think on that front I I've been working with my Performance partner. So, at U Foods, we were partnered with a company called Executive Performance Partners, and they are a group of org psychs and coaches. And so, Dave, my coach, we really spent a lot of time in preparing for the end of my time at U Foods, working through that exact question. Mm-hmm. You know what? What is your chapter at U Foods closing on? What? What do you? What do you want to have your end note be? And how do you figure out moving forward what it is that inspires and engages and energizes you, and and what does that look like for your next opportunity? Um, the other thing, um, given that U Foods is a really fast-paced environment, mm. and over the four and a half years that I was with U Foods, there was uh, an awful lot of. Change and innovation. We we went through in in three years. We went through external investment to IPOing on the ASX to an acquisition, in between building a custom facility and doubling our headcount. So it was a lot. That's a lot. So there was also a lot of time spent with Dave in talking through. Well, when you stop, how how do you how do you make sure that you set your mindset to make sure that you are taking advantage of that opportunity to rest, to recuperate, to reflect. Um, And how can you harness that to be better next time around? Yes. Because I don't sit still very well. (laughs) And my problem is, is that even though it's completely wrong, my mindset is that when I'm sitting still, sometimes I'm lazy. And I should be doing so many other things. Yeah, I get that. And I think there's lots of people who would sit down and think, I'd definitely love to watch this ridiculous reality TV show. (laughs) It would do my mental health a lot of help there. But there's three loads of washing to do and the kids need their uniforms ironed. and And
0: if it doesn't get done right, then what? Like
1: I'm, then just, it's, I'm just gonna double. I'm delaying the inevitable. Yeah. Exactly. I don't like delaying
0: the inevitable.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so we reframed that and for me what really helped is that we labelled it as active recovery. Okay. So, in the same way, and I am not a sports person, but in the same way, (laughs) (laughs) but in the same way that after a competition for a sports person, you would enter into this active recovery period, that's how we reframed it to think about it as opposed to me feeling lazy. Mm -hmm. And so, my mindset in terms of that transition was first of all, coming into the end of my time with YouFoods, really wanted to make sure that my team were looked after and, and set up for the next chapter of their, their work with Foods, making sure that I'd, I'd given everything that I could to make sure that uh, everyone was as set as they could be. And then after that, it was around that, well, what am I going to do for okay. this period of time? Because when I left Foods I didn't have uh, an opportunity at that time. So there okay. was that uncertainty as sure. well. And again, the idea of of not having something to go to is quite unnerving. Um, Absolutely. And and that took a little bit of working through as well. Um, I have loved being able to go to a 9am Pilates class instead of the 5.45. that five. I've been nice, hey? <laughs> it is nice. It is really for nice. A, for a holiday change. For a holiday change, <laughs> yeah. definitely. But then I'm finding now that as I'm in week seven of not working full-time, mm-hmm. I'm getting a little bit itchy in terms of, yeah wow, okay, I've done that 9am Pilates class a few times and I've got my life admin to-do list because I'm still doing a list. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, same applies, right? What you do, you know, in the workplace and what you do at home, those- those They cross
1: over. They cross over. Absolutely. So yeah. that that habit is definitely still there for me. And so working through that, but, but also having now secured this- fabulous opportunity, which will be starting in a few weeks time. I'm now excited about looking forward to something. Yes. I'm certainly so proud of everything that I achieved and the team. I had a fabulous, fabulous team at Ufoods, but so looking forward to something new and different. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm looking forward I almost feel like, okay, it's time to get your mind back in the game mm-hmm. in terms of how how am I going to get back into this work mode? Is it going to be autopilot? There's always self-doubt there. Yeah. Wondering, wondering, will I, will I be on point when I go in mm-hmm. or am I going to need to warm up mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. the length of time I've had off? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that in terms of that very long winded answer that I gave you the transition has been odd at times it's been great at times and it's been sad at times but I think having worked through a number of those steps I'm now really comfortable with what I've done and how I've prepared Mm -hmm. and and also grateful grateful to have the opportunity to take that time and reflect because I certainly am cognizant that not everyone gets that
0: yeah no that's beautiful and I guess in a nutshell for me, that's very much related to when I took maternity leave. So I was off for six months and I started to get itchy around the seven to eight week mark as well, because, you know, I was on the go all the time and felt very good when I was being productive. Yes. Even though that this was a, you know, a permission slip to slow down and just be present, that was quite hard. But when you realize that, yeah, you've got something to look forward to. So in my case, it was a new role in a new office through having my chats and catch-ups with Tim, the CEO, so that we were still in touch. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't fully like on an island somewhere for six months kind of thing where no one heard from me. So that was, yeah, and then preparing myself. So that month before was just like, life admin as well, what needs to be put in place, what haven't I done? You know, all those health appointments, optometrist, dentist, chiropractor, getting my wheels replaced and aligned, cleaning the house from top to bottom. Like it was so many things and yeah, I had those doubts too. Like will I be firing on all cylinders when I come back? Will I need to warm up? What will my emotions be like? What will people expect of me? I'm I'm alma, but I'm different, but I'm also the same. It's
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and not forgetting the fact that you've also now in this situation where you're responsible for a human. It's so, so daunting. For the first time as well. I mean the second time yeah. around is a little bit more, more uh, knowledgeable for yourself. Yeah, but, but this is a first
0: for every single thing. So. That's
1: it. And yeah. so there's, there's that part which in my view is definitely something not to be underplayed because, mm. y- you know, keeping another human alive is it's a big job. And and <laughs> yeah, and then of course you you got your own expectations for yeah. yourself in terms of I want to do a good job. Yeah, I want to show up and I want to be present and energized. And even if I've had two hours sleep the night before, how am I going to do that? Yeah, uh, I don't want to let anyone down.
0: Oh yeah, and I had that I had that big you could say guilt and not enoughness before I had a child. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it's like that extra layer of that now and yeah
1: yeah it's those types of things I think really um really force you to look at yourself and and force you to see what's really most important oh Uh, yeah and particularly it also makes you realize if you've got a very understanding and supportive employer as well
0: and do I ever?
1: Yes, <laughs> I do. I wouldn't be anywhere else. I can say that much right Amazing. now. Amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be anywhere else. It's um, but so no, I, I completely agree. It's the feeling of not being enough mm. to people is certainly something that I know that we're not alone in how we think. I yes. I, I, I hear many of you would my have come across so many people. Oh yeah. look, particularly working in HR, yeah, you know, we we are the safe space for yes. a number of people to come and share their anger and their disappointment and their grief and a whole range of other things. Mm. So at least if it's if there's one comforting thought, to put it that way, um, Mm. is that we're we're certainly not alone in those. Yeah, that's
0: it. That's it. It feels like you are, but you're not.
1: Correct. Mm. Correct.
0: Yeah. So thank you for that, I guess, reassurance for the people who are listening. Yeah, I think I think it's important
1: that everyone knows that I think we're all a lot more connected than we realize. Absolutely right, yeah. and there's so many opportunities for people to reach out to get support if they need it. So many organizations have e- um, Eaps and we're one of them. yes, absolutely yeah. <laughs> so widespread and really beneficial tool and thank service you. in the business yeah, if, it is. if they're on a range of topics, but even just finding someone to talk to and share your feelings and not feeling as though not feeling as though you are inadequate. yes,
0: yeah. thank you so much as well for um reaffirming how good it is to have an EAP because we have one and I'd love for people to yeah just see the benefit of it and know that it's okay to talk to someone and the beauty of it is that it doesn't have it's not a family member it's not a team member it's someone who—it's completely confidential you can say whatever you need to say to
1: help that's it. And, and there's move through. there's no judgment from No that judgment. Person. No judgment. And and generally it's 100% confidential. Yeah. Uh, and free. Exactly. So, you know, it's not even any cost. Yeah. Your employer doesn't even necessarily need to know you've used the EAP. And it can be for situations which are not just at work, yeah. but also in your personal yeah. life.
0: They can talk about whatever they need to, whether right. it's work or home related. Yeah. There's no limit on that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and so your employer's already paying for it. Mm. If you're May feeling well like it. it would be a benefit, you might as well use it.
0: Yeah. Don't
1: let it go to waste, I guess. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs>
0: And yeah, you, you basically spoke about the huge teams that you've worked with. So I think I saw on there, there's like companies that you work for that have like 5,000 like team members and that sort of thing. That's just crazy to me. So culture, how how does that come into play there and it not just be words on a wall, basically?
1: Yeah, I've seen a few places where it is words on a wall. I know. And it's yeah. really disappointing because I kind of, I backtrack that a little bit to start with and think, well, why? Mm-hmm. Why is bringing culture to life important? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't it just be words on a wall? And, and for me, as I said, having, having worked in HR for a long time, I've seen that a strong and positive culture really has the capability to enhance the organisation. It connects people to each other in an organisation mm-hmm. and connects people to the organisation itself. It generally improves attendance, improves retention, Improves engagement and and those types of things are key measures in terms of how how desirable an employer is to work for. Hundred percent. So you know, for me, I think that that's the first point about it. It also really clearly demonstrates to people, well, what does good look like around here? Mm. What do we what do we accept as our as our standard? Mm. Because there's a difference between what someone says that we should do in an organisation. Yes and what people actually do when they're not being watched. Mm. So, look, I think in terms of bringing culture to life, I found having worked with, in some cases, some large organisations around the 5,500 mark. Yeah, that's um, impressive. Look, it, was <laughs> it had its moments. <laughs> but I think that it's about being simple and uncomplicated in your approach, for, particularly because traditionally if people in culture departments are the ones who are told that, they need to own culture. Mm. Now, my view is that everyone owns culture because we're all turning up and we're okay. all doing a job on that day. But bringing culture to life in terms of practical things that I've done that have worked, for example, tying day-to-day tasking for every role, right right through to in New Foods Land for example, process workers, mm-hmm. having clarity in the link between the day-to-day tasking that they perform and the behaviours or the cultural norms that are expected to be demonstrated, mm-hmm. making that really clear. So, for example, one of the values at Foods is challenge the status quo. Oh, I like that. Really cool one. <laughs> and But when we paint the picture of people, that, that's not good enough just to say challenge the status quo. Because they're like, well, how do I do that? Exactly. What's the status quo? Exactly. And yeah. part of our role in support functions for an organisation is to make sure that those who are executing the very important tasks in You Foods, making the products, that we make it as smooth running and easy as possible. So when we say challenge the status quo, we talk about the behavioural statements that underpin that. So what do people do or say or how do they act to reflect challenge the status mm. quo? But we take it one step further in saying for a process worker in your PD where your role is mm-hmm. to place components into a tray for the meals, for example. Yeah the status quo means that if you're about to put your component into your tray and you look at that tray and it does not look to spec in terms of the way it should be presenting to our customer ultimately, we want you to raise your hand. Mm. We want you to say, hey, QC person. I need need you to have a look at this because I don't believe that this is what we want to be providing to our customers. Amazing. So it's kind of taking it down to those really practical but very specific links for each role, right? And that can take a bit of time. Mm -hmm. So, but in saying that, in U Foods, for example, we had six hundred process workers. So the work, I know (laughs) the work that the work that we did in terms of looking at well, what does each of our values mean when we unpack it against a process worker role, that actually means that six hundred people have got clarity. Oh, doesn't that change so much? It's mind blowing. I feel so moved
0: by that thinking, what yeah, what does it look like when six hundred yeah. people yeah. have their glasses
1: on and they can see the world
0: the That's way it, it should be. And
1: look it, let's, let's be honest. It doesn't always translate to 600 people all the time uh, every day. Of course. Um, but from the it's from It's the, the effort, goal anyway. It's the goal. Yeah. And and so in terms of bringing it to life, though, it's helping people to translate what it means for them. Not just what it means, but what it means for them. So that's probably one of the key things. The second is that leaders have to model the way for others. It is absolutely ridiculous to expect that there are values somewhere and and cultural plans outlined and leaders do not comply oh my god i feel so passionately about that i agree completely and just really (laughs) bothers me when when we expect others to effectively when you boil it down do as i say not as i do oh so so that for me is really important but not just modeling the way but in that position of leadership being willing Mm -hmm. to hold people to account when they don't display them because that's the other side of the coin don't just model it yourself, but the team that you're responsible for, you owe it to all of the members of those team as a leader yeah. to say, "Hey Sally, you know, I noticed that you let 50 meals go by when there was beef instead of chicken in the tray. Why did you do that?" Mm. I couldn't be bothered. Well, and what about the rest of the team, right? That's right. And then they, when they see that that's not pulled up, and I'm, I'm suggesting it's pulled up in a respectful, appropriate way, um, that it says to the other team members, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then you see these little shifts in behaviour and it, everything becomes unravelled. Mm-hmm. So for me, modelling the way but also holding people to account is incredibly important to bringing culture to life. And lastly, I think for me when I was thinking about this one is ensuring that systems and processes and procedures in an organisation don't directly oppose what those culture norms and values are. An example that that I thought of and and wrote down was, again, Foods. another of our values is simplify. Mm. So if you can say it in three dot points instead of five paragraphs, please do that. If you can, if you can say something with a picture and a few words rather than writing a lengthy document, please do that. So where I'm going with that is that U Foods is it didn't have the success that it did as an organisation based on bureaucracy and red tape. Yeah, that's not what the organisation was built off. So in terms of simplify, it would be crazy for the organisation to put in place a system or a process or a procedure that might be 10 pages long of really complicated words Mm. that intend to be used by a group of employees who may have English as a second language, Mm. who may be, you know, in a visa situation, who may not be well experienced in the work they're doing. Mm. Instead, we have to make sure that we reflect the value of simplify yes. in terms of writing it in dot points, making sure that our training modules, for example, online were always provided in English, but they were subtitled with Punjabi because mm-hmm. a large proportion of our workforce were of Indian descent. Yeah, So those are the types of things that I think help bring a culture to life. Love that. And Probably the last little snippet was around making sure there's a mechanism for people who work in different parts of the organisation to cross-pollinate.
0: Mm. Ufoods
1: used a culture squad set up where there would be different people, a representative from each department come together to join together on a regular basis to discuss the culture, initiatives, challenges, where there might be opportunities to improve day in the life of experiences. When new people started, there used to be an arrangement where even if I was working in HR, I would go and spend part of a day in the production area to understand what it means to be part of the engine room yes. of the organisation. So those I think are examples of bringing culture to life from from the time that I've had in businesses. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You answer every question with so much thought and detail. I appreciate how much time you've put into your answers.
1: Oh, I appreciate getting the questions up front.
0: (laughs) It gave me time to prepare. (laughs) All good. And being ready for change. It's something that we talk about here, being prepared before opportunities come up. Is there something that you can give as an advice to people who are listening?
1: Yeah, particularly in fast paced businesses. And it's not only in fast paced businesses things things unexpectedly pop up and that can be change for good or bad or it can be opportunity it can be in food manufacturing we didn't experience at you foods but something like a product recall for example mm-hmm. things that really almost require that business continuity planning. So for me, I think there's absolute benefit and I would strongly advise leaders if they have an opportunity to do it is to spend a little bit of time in playing out the tape or Mm -hmm. thinking through what could this amount to? It's almost like having a plan B, thinking about what that plan B might be. And sometimes you need a plan C, D and E as well, depending on the situation. So I think that applies to both positive and negative potential outcomes. Making sure that your team contributing to those ideas Mm -hmm. also gives them buy-in. As I said earlier, two brains are better than one, 10 heads are better than one. If you can work through we're going to be in this situation for the organisation but what if this happens? Mm. Okay, what if that happens? What would we need to do? How would we need to change? What would that mean in terms of how we adjust our resources? Mm. What does it mean in terms of our systems? Are they capable of supporting us on that front? Is there anything from a legal or regulatory perspective we need to consider? So thinking about scenarios like that before they happen and almost almost as I said, kind of aligning it to a business continuity plan approach can be really useful. The other one for me is that, like I said, I, I was blessed with a phenomenal team at Ufoods. They They are some of the best I've ever worked with. And the ability and willingness for a team to pivot and mm-hmm. be quite fluid in their approach is really helpful in those situations. But it can't just be at that time. My, I guess my advice on, on the team front would be to not perhaps relaxed is not the right word, but to have have an approach in general where the team are quite comfortable with the changing of goalposts, mm-hmm. that it doesn't freak them out, it doesn't stress them, it doesn't agitate them, that they just think, okay, we've changed. How are we going to work with that now? And there's always an opportunity to learn once that situation has closed out. Correct. So reflection is really important. Yep. But the team's outlook, I believe, is critical, particularly in, you know, the PNC team in, in New Foods were very heavily involved, of course, when COVID broke out. Of course. Like many, many other businesses, we were mm. all working very strangely uh, across the entire nation, across the, ho- the whole world, really, when this pandemic hit. Mm. It was critical. And in fact, I think that the longevity of the team probably relied upon the fact that we were able to be quite fluid and flexible with what we did. Yes. So we that's, can't be
0: rigid in those kind of crazy circumstances like no. COVID.
1: And that's that's a huge outlier in terms of an example that mm. I just gave. Even day to day though, if the team if the team's standard approach is to be very rigid and, and not have much flex, it impacts on them as individuals mm. poorly. The team suffers in terms of their effectiveness. Mm. And again, I can only really speak from a people and culture perspective, but a pNC and c team's ability to support and enable an organisation yes. then means if we're not on top of our game, then the organisation suffers in many realms. Mm. So the team, I think, is a critical there. And then the opportunities, I think, is, again, a bit of pre-thought around, well, when something comes up, what are the opportunities here? How? What would be the next step? If this takes off and it goes really well, yeah. what's our next step? Yeah. Like don't wait to be asked. Let's prepare in terms of so that when we're 50% through and things are going really well, I can go to my CEO and say, hey, this is doing really well. We'd mm-hmm. like to do this next. Mm-hmm. So being prepared, not waiting to be asked. Love that. Love yeah. that. It's worked well in the past, but... Sometimes people don't always appreciate you being so upfront.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a balance, right? It is. Read the room. Yes, You've got to read the room. Pick <laughs> yeah.
1: your moment. Yes, absolutely.
0: Potentially wait till they're caffeinated.
1: Um, True. Not hungry. That's <laughs> right. Slept well. That's right. And also become quite good at reading body language because right. if you can see that there's a storm happening on someone's face, do not ask. Pick a better time. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So second last question, when choosing between two highly skilled candidates, is there something, a point of difference that you look for?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did, I'm going to refer to my notes here because it, it was for me some particular things. So strong communication skills were the things that I thought of. Now within that specifically, what I look for is The ability to convey a message succinctly Mm -hmm. so that's the first one and an ability to translate the complex into the simple and then make it compelling because we're so we're so required in our roles so many of us to persuade and influence Mm -hmm. that if an individual is unable to take this really complex concept or thing and then have someone who is not in their line of work or in their specialty field Mm -hmm. be able to not only understand it but become an advocate for it, that is gold. So that's uh, inside communication, those are the two things that I would look for. Resilience and grit are two other things, particularly particularly given the pace of change that we're all experiencing. Again, uh, the rigidity that some candidates display could be a great skill in some roles within an organization typically though most people are affected by change and constant change so that ability to be resilient through that change but also have that that grit or determination to be able to persevere mm. those are probably key attributes that I look for and then lastly is just the their personal personal alignment to the purpose or the mission of the business now I mean look, that's not to say that uh, vegans can't work for beef companies, but
0: they <laughs> I love that but, analogy. But but come on. But but like
1: <laughs> But if the if the goal, for example, is in dignity, for example, the the business that I'm associated with, every single individual who works at dignity, you can see it just oozes from them. It, that's it. it. They emanate this energy that they Personally, cannot stand to see another homeless person go unsupported. That's it. So that connection is also quite important. Mm. I love that you used not to say a vegan couldn't work. (laughs) I'm sure there are
0: vegans who (laughs) work out. (laughs) Oh, but how 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 vegan are you though? If you can do that,
1: I don't know. Mm, I I feel like
0: I I probably I'm personally not vegan, so I probably couldn't comment on it. But I just feel like if that's a strong enough belief you
1: wouldn't work with beef. I wouldn't imagine so. Mm. But I'm not a vegan either, so I'm also not Can't qualified comment. to yeah, comment. Yeah, no. yeah, but yeah, I just found that really
0: funny. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. One key takeaway for our listeners, if, you, if they were to take one thing away and bring it back to their day-to-day life, what would you hope that to be?
1: Yeah, I, I really thought hard on this one. Being that people's my game, it's going to be a people thing. Mm-hmm. So... I truly believe that people can be a mechanism for great success or dismal failure depending on, you know, certainly within an organisation or a sporting team or a community group. Regardless, people can either be the maker or the breaker of success in, in those groups of people. And so from a leadership position I think that it's really important to be aware of and invest in people's superpowers, to know what they are. Because you and I both know that if you're doing things that you love and you're good at, you're so much more invested in them. Mm-hmm. And if someone gives you that opportunity to do more of that, you're appreciative of that. So, knowing not just knowing what those superpowers are, seeking to understand, but also investing in them. Mm-hmm. And also having a really good understanding of what each individual's motivators and drivers are. You know, that opportunity to have, have someone maximise their value or their contribution to a group has has positive benefits for everyone. So I think that making sure that they've got that connection to what they're doing, you as their leader are taking a genuine interest, not just an interest, a genuine yeah. interest And trying to find opportunities for that person to maximise their use of their superpowers, that you're recognising and rewarding them in a way which makes them feel valued and appreciated and that you're also aligning their developmental goals to where they want to be Mm -hmm. and knowing that that might actually mean that you're preparing them to leave your organisation or your group or your team. That's huge.
0: It's hard but it's huge. Yes. Yeah.
1: But I I look back and, and, you know, I've done it most in organisational teams. There have been a number of people who have been developed as part of my team who have gone on to achieve amazing things in their career. Were they still in my team? No, they weren't. Did that impact me in terms of losing an amazing resource? Yes, it did. But ultimately they have had more positive to be gained in their life. And if I've played some small part in that, then that makes me feel good. That's it. That's it.
0: And like trying to think about who would I be if I held someone back from being their full potential? Because you're still part of their journey. That's right. And they've gone on to do amazing things, which makes the world an amazing place. And if you do keep doing more of that, then that just keeps growing.
1: Absolutely. So it's an
0: abundance mindset rather than being like, what have I lost?
1: Exactly. And- Mm. and. At the worst of it, going the other way is selfish. You get to hang on to that person a little bit longer, perhaps. Yeah. But in sporting teams, you know there are there are coaches who will train kids in in reserve grade, and then ultimately they'll go on and play first grade or, yeah. or you know championship level or whatever it may be. So I think that that same mechanism app- applies here so for me people are either going to make it or break it for you mm-hmm. spend the time in investing in them in their development what drives them and what motivates them and recognize that each person is unique in that sense one size does not fit all absolutely yeah.
0: thank you so much Christina I really really appreciate your time sharing your insights your experience you've had a world of experience that has been recognised now. You're doing talks in front of big crowds, and you know that's how Bob found you, and that's how you came here, and that's huge. Really appreciate that you've come on.
1: Oh, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. I, I think that you're probably overstating the success of the speaking thing, absolutely but absolutely um, not. <laughs> but in saying that, it's a, it's been a real thrill, and yeah. I'm I'm just looking forward to maybe very. Um, I don't know. I've lost my words now, but I'm certainly looking forward to what's up in, in the future. And if, if anything in there has been helpful for any of your listeners, then I'm really pleased to have been here and spent the time.
0: I think they'll definitely gain, even with our you know, our listeners that we have now, you never know what kind of impact you'll have in five, 10 years time when those episodes come back into rotation, because people are going to keep finding this stuff in the future and they're going to go right back to the start and look at those episodes. So it's going to, it's the gift that keeps on giving. That is a really scary thought, Alma. I'm sorry. Forget, <laughs> I, said be that. Forget re- I said visited. that. Forget <laughs> Yeah, let's just hope it just disappears at some, some point. <laughs> but thank you. No. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Great Conversation, brought to you by Lux's Greats. We hope you gain some valuable insights that you can implement into your personal and professional life. Please share this episode with others who you think may be interested in this topic. If there's something you'd like covered in future episodes, drop us a line in the comment section or send us a message on social media. To stay up to date with new episodes and to help support One Great Conversation, please subscribe or follow us on your favorite streaming platform.